Some of you will know that I have an identical twin brother who is a general surgeon, and he is in the Army Reserve. And if you don't know how the Army Reserve works these days, he's been called up six or seven times now. And I remember uh, a number of years ago, he's been to Iraq and he's been to Afghanistan, and his trip to Afghanistan was particularly difficult because they lost a person on his medical team while they were there. But I remember the day he came back and then debriefing and talking to him about it. And one of the things he told me was that at moments that were challenging to him, it was visions of home and the love and the people there and all the things about home that gave him encouragement and comfort and also helped him to lean into his mission to complete it there and and, and stay safe. And I think for us today, I think about sometimes about that's the way heaven is for us, that we, we can hold that vision as something that will give us comfort and help us lean in to the mission that we have. Today, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about heaven today. And if you're just joining us, we are in the middle of a sermon series that is called Heaven and Hell. And we've, here's where we've been. If you haven't gotten these sermons, they're available through our website, but we've talked, we kind of did an overview of what's called the last things or eschatology as the theologians would, would describe it. We talked about hell last week. We're talking heaven today. And then next week, we're going to give some additional thoughts about kind of who goes where and some thoughts about how the final act plays out. So that's the sweep of what we're doing. But today we're talking about heaven. And what I'd like to do today is I'd like to talk a little bit about what it is, say something about maybe trying to describe it a little bit, at least from what we know, and then maybe ask what's our response? Why does it matter? These thoughts that we have in it. That's kind of where I want to go. And you know, there are lot, there's lots of material out there about heaven and lots of different images and cartoons and comics and all the different kinds of things. People have different views about it. I recently saw um, an interview that was with Stephen King, the writer who's written so much about death. And he was asked, this is with Rolling Stone magazine, and he was asked about whether he wanted to go to heaven. He said, they asked him, do you hope to go to heaven? He responded, I don't want to go to the heaven that I learned about when I was a kid. To me, it seems boring. The idea that you're gonna lounge around on a cloud all day and listen to guys play harps. I don't wanna listen to harps. I wanna listen to Jerry Lee Lewis. That was his thought about it. But I wanna blow that myth up right away. Like there's nothing in scripture that leads us to that image of the puffy cloud and the harps. Like, so let's begin to think about what does scripture actually say about it? And when you go and begin to study the scripture about heaven, there are three different ways that it's used. There's the first way in a sense of it's a physical, a physical location above the earth. It's the heavens above kind of a thing. There is the sense in a second way that it's where God dwells. It's God's dwelling place. And then there's a third sense in which it is the place where the righteous go as part of their inheritance. Those are kind of the three big ways it's treated in scripture. And then Paul kind of uses it in a hybrid because he will kind of talk about, we've talked about the already and not yet. And he kind of will talk sometimes about heaven breaking in now and tastes and experiences of heaven in some ways now. And to be clear, what I want to speak about today is this third biblical sense of the place where the righteous go as part of their inheritance, as part of the the children of God. And we begin to begin to start thinking about that. Okay. What, what is that? What is the core of that place? And how do we understand that? 
One of the uh, professors that I like, very prolific professor from Oxford, um, Alistair McGrath, describes heaven, and he, he and the guy's just like, you know, super, super smart and amazing, but he, he describes it this way. He says the Christian concept of heaven is essentially, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to summarize a little part of this, that, that at the end of times, that it will be the presence and power of God and the final elimination of sin. That it's the presence and power of God and the permanent end of sin. Those are the two main ingredients that he talks about. And for us, we, we think about it as a, a place of transformation where we're transformed, where we get to a place where we're able to look on and see God directly as part of that change and what takes place. And we go from seeing him dimly to seeing him clearly. We think maybe about the passage from 1 John chapter 3, where John says, Beloved, we are God's children now. It does not yet appear what shall be. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. We're transformed into his image. For we shall see him as he is. This idea that we see things dimly now, but then we'll see face to face. And part of this is we're going to be in God's presence. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Theologians along the way, a number of them have given a name to this. It's such an important event and such an important occurrence. That's the beatific vision that you're going to be in God's presence and see him face to face. And the only way that it happens is to the extent that God gives us the capacity to do it, which we as Christians hold as a matter of grace. And what he does for us. Whatever you want to say, and you go look at all the passages in the Bible about heaven, you start to think about this being in the presence of God and, and being able to see him and all these things. We're going to unpack some of that. But whatever it is, it is not boring. It is not going to be puffy clouds with harps kind of a moment. It's going to be more amazing than we can imagine. And I want to help us begin to think about that. But before we go to that place, I think we pause for a second just to think about this notion that we're in a place where there's God's power and presence and the absence of, absence of sin. And we begin to think about what that does for us. And part of that is the contrast that to where we are now. Because we're in a place now where you don't have to live very long or be very open to realize that we're in a broken place. We're in a place where things are not, are not right. There are places where we've experienced all kinds of heartache. People who've had broken relationships, people who've lost children, people who have all kinds of different miserable things that happen. And we don't, you know, I, I was thinking about this this week. This week I had a weird thing happen to me. I don't know if y'all have ever had this. I had a song that I was listening to on the radio. It just happened to come on. It got stuck in my head. I could not let go of this song. And then so like I was reading, like, how do you get a song out of your head that gets stuck? And a lot of the websites will say, you need to go listen to it. So I did that. It still didn't go out. And then I started reading about the song. And there's like, you, and it's a powerful song, but I started reading the lyrics. And then I re was reading what's behind the lyrics. And it's extremely dark and painful, all the stuff that's going on behind it. And to me, it was just this extreme reminder all week of just the brokenness that we live in. And really, heaven is in great contrast to that. And there's comfort in that. G.K. Chesterton, last century, in 
writing about his approach to Christianity and coming to Christianity, he talks about this moment where he takes comfort in that, where he begins to realize this, del- this difference, this delta is okay. I'm going to read to you what, part of what he wrote about this. He says, the modern philosopher had told me again and again that I was in the right place and I had still felt depressed, even in acquiescence. When I heard that I was in the wrong place, my soul sang for joy like a bird in spring. I knew now why I could feel homesick at home. This idea that we're here, but it's not really, it's not our real home kind of a place. So we get that that's where we're called to. And it's this place of God's presence and power, but it's also this place that we understand where it's the final end of sin. And that we get in the pages of scripture that nothing unclean is going to come before God. And that goes into all of the discussions about grace and all that that we'll, we'll get hit another point. But this idea that there's no sin in that place. It reminds me of the one I've heard, and there are lots of, <laughs> there are lots of heaven jokes out there. But it reminds me of the one I've heard about the, uh, the New York gang that suddenly walks up as a big group up to St. Peter at the pearly gates and they got their chains and their different things and they clink and they, they head up there and St. Peter sees him coming and he looks at him and he says, hold on. And he runs back to God and he says, I've got this New York rough gang out there with all their stuff and everything else. What do I do with them? And God says, well, you know, do what you always want to do. If they're, they're hardened, they don't want me, whatever else they're, let them do their own thing and show them where the other option is. And so St. Peter goes back and, and then he comes running back to God and he says, God, 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 they're gone. They're gone. And God says, the gang from New York? No, no, no. The pearly gates. <laughs> All right. There'll be no sin in heaven and, and, and hopefully no bad jokes either. <laughs> but this idea that we think about these things, that it's this place where there is God's power, presence, fullness of the power of his love and the absence of sin. That's what heaven is. That's what we hold. But I want to turn then and begin to think, okay, well, that's what it is. What do we know about it in terms of describing it? What are some of the details of how this works out? And I think we begin immediately, we come to a place where we have to be honest. This is full of mystery. And it would be wrong for me to stand up here and and pretend that I know all these details because I don't. We're going to talk about what scripture says a little bit, but we have to start by saying we're going to go beyond language. We're going to go beyond things that we can really hold. We're going to go profoundly into this place of mystery about what it is. And we can get some things from scripture. I'm going to say some things in a moment, but I want to start by just saying, be humble and know that we're going to go beyond what we can really get and comprehend that there's this profound mystery in it. Our offertory uh, song today is going to push us in that direction. We, it's, it's a mercy me day, if you know the band, because we just did Word of God Speak. And the offertory today is going to be, um, I can only imagine, which if you haven't seen this, the movie on Netflix, it's a great movie and all that. But, it, but it's going to invite us to, be, to just imagine. It's just the refrain is going to invite us to imagine what it might be like to be that. And he wrote those verses thinking about his dad passing away, imagining what, where he is and what he, what's going on with him. But we have lots of different images presented to us about what heaven may be like. Stephen King mentioned the one about the puffy clouds and the harps. Um, Somebody, I saw a a catalog entry that was uh, a pillow that said on it, heaven is where all your dogs are. This idea that your dogs will be with you. And and if you ever saw Robin Williams, What Dreams May Come, 
he wakes in heaven to this dog licking, his old dog licking him on the face. So I, so I get that whole sentiment. But what we want to look at, to the extent we want to know anything, we want to look at to see what does the Bible say about it. And there we begin to see that there are lots of metaphors that are presented and different words used to describe this place that I think call us into our imagination, ultimately knowing that it's this profoundly good place, but inviting us to think about what it may be like as we think about who's there and how that all works. So just think about some of these metaphors and some of these words. It's referred to as a kingdom, as paradise, as a heavenly Jerusalem, as the eternal kingdom, as eternal inheritance, as a blessed country. We get in other places that it's called the new Jerusalem, perpetual Sabbath or rest. It's all these kinds of different things. And we talked last week about hell. And part of what we talked about in hell with the hell topic last week is isolation. This is not that. This is communal. This is going to be a place of community. And we think about not only being in God's presence, which is a triune God, which is a community of love, just in the Godhead. But then we also get that it's, it's more than that, that it's actually where, where others are. And we get a number of different phrases in Scripture that remind us of that as well. So you get aspects of this that talk about it being the messianic banquet, that it's a wedding feast, that it's a city, that it's a heavenly liturgy. All these different kinds of things that are, that are really positive. One theologian um, talks about it. He says this, it'll be good. It'll be wine, music, song, worship, rest, jewelry, light. He goes on with all these different kinds of things. But this communal part of it, I think, is, is huge for us, for those of us who, who've lost loved ones. And we think and we hold this dream of being reunited with them around this place and as part of the community of what it is. I know for me, I, I have this vision and image and desire to talk to my grandparents who've gone on. But there's a lot of mystery in how it all takes place and what scripture really says. I had one priest friend of mine who used to, used to take comfort in this and he took it to a new level. He's the only person I've ever heard say this. So take that for what it's worth. But he used to talk about how his parents had, had gone on and he, he found so much comfort in thinking about them being there. But then he took further comfort in thinking about Holy Communion. Because what he would, he would say is that we are receiving Christ in communion and Christ is in their presence, like they're, they're together. And so there was some way in which he felt like in receiving Christ, he receiving the one who's in their presence. And I, ever since that time, I always think about that. It just, it, circuit breakers start to pop. And I don't think it's meant to be, all these metaphors are not meant to be things that confuse us. I think they're meant to be things that call us into a really robust image of what heaven may be like as this, this great place. I love the way that our first reading today uh, talks about heaven. It's probably part, one of my favorite passages about it, where it says in verse four that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. It's such a powerful verse to think about this place of no tears and no pain. And there are all kinds of answers I think that we can answer with that, for, with that one verse. One of the questions that I get a lot, people love their pets. I love mine. But, they, but I'll get people who their pet will die and they'll say, is their pet going to be in heaven? 
And you can get super academic and talk about Thomas Aquinas saying pets don't have souls and all these other things. All I know is that heaven's got to be a place where either my dog is there, so I'm not crying, or it's got to be so blown me away with God's glory that it just doesn't matter. But we, but we hear is there's no pain and there's no tears. And I take comfort in that. So scripture leads us in that way in a lot of ways. I think it's also interesting how certain uh, really amazing writers like C.S. Lewis have gone a little further. C.S. Lewis goes beyond scripture and he says this. He says, look, when you look inside yourself, you're made by God. So you get hints about who God is and what God's like by looking in yourself. And he says, when you, when you find things inside yourself that are just out of place here, maybe that's because they're made for the place you're ultimately meant to be. So I think about things like when we all, I think, have a desire for unconditional, never-ending love. And we seek it in all kinds of ways here, but it's never perfect. But we're wired that way. And I wonder, to C.S. Lewis's argument, if we're not wired that way, because that's ultimately where we're meant to have. And that's going to be a thing of heaven. We get these images from Scripture. It's a new earth, a new Jerusalem, a new heaven, new earth. And it's all going to take place at the end. And we'll talk some more about that next week. But for now, um, I, I would bring us back to just being drawn into this robust vision of heaven and being okay with admitting that we don't know a whole lot. Profound mystery, that we're not able to describe it in great details. And maybe all those details don't matter. What we know is it's a good place that calls us. I want to say that more eloquently by quoting uh, a, a theologian that I like, Avery Dulles, who um, was a professor of theology. He describes it this way. He says this, and I'm winding up, but he says this. He says, many other questions can be asked about eternal life. Some people not want to know whether they will be able to talk to their favorite saints. Others ask whether there will be cats and dogs, whether they will have their favorite pet, whether there will be beef steak and ice cream and all sorts of curious questions. The answer is, I suppose the one the Lord gave to the Sadducees. The question is based on ignorance. It's foolish to want to know everything about the world beyond because the answers, even if they came, would be unintelligible to us. We know enough to desire everlasting life and the rest need not concern us. Why should we not be willing to wait? We'll find out when we get there. And that's soon, that's soon enough. It's a place that I titled the day sermon. It's the best place ever. It's the best place we can imagine. It's a place we were meant to be. It's a place of love, unconditional love and God's presence. And I think it calls certain things out of us when we embrace it. And I want to, before I end with that, I just want to say, I think there are also two risks that run with it. When you get a clear vision of heaven and hold it, Maybe there's a temptation to get so focused on it that we forget to see the beauty here in this place. I was thinking about that this week as I was preparing the sermon. And I was thinking, how often do I do that? And I know it's, it's trite to talk about stopping to smell the roses, but I, can't t I cannot tell you how often it is that um, our rector, who's very playful, will post a picture on Facebook, if some of y'all have seen this, where he'll take pictures of the flowers up here on the, up at the altar and I've been here preaching and worrying about stuff and who's where and, you know, and I didn't even see them. And then I'll see this picture that he's posted. And I'm like, why didn't I stop to see the beauty of those? I mean, these are exceptional today again. 
We can get so other world, so other focused that we miss all the beauty here. I think we can do this with our children sometime. We get so busy in the carrying out what we need to do with our children that we stop to just enjoy the moment, see the beauty of this, the time we're in or whatever else it is. And the other risk I think is related to it. We can become so other minded of heaven that we don't see the needs of this place. And Jesus is called to serve the least of these. We can spiritualize everything and not see the call of the gospel to come in to, into, to be incarnate, to come into the brokenness of the world in a human way. We need to be reminded that, yes, we are called to be citizens of above, but we're also called to be ambassadors of God's love here on earth. And we have to hold both of those together. When I think about um, what this means for us, I, I leave you with these two final things is that it's like my brother who was in Afghanistan and Iraq. I think that when we have a clear vision of heaven, it can help comfort us with the pain we experience now and our longing for something else, but it also helps us lean into the mission and call that we have now and focus on that to, get, to be the place we're going. And I think also all this whole sermon series to me is a call to go deeper in embracing God's love as we live out our spiritual lives. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you love us and you call us on a journey, a journey through this life and into a better place, a place where there are no tears. Lord, help us here to live as citizens of above, but also ambassadors of your love and your kingdom. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.